in the 21st chapter of John's Gospel, we have an account of one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples, the men who would be his apostles. And as we look at this particular event in the life of Jesus, what we see is Christ speaking primarily, I would say, for the benefit of the apostle Peter. Now, he was speaking to all of the apostles, and he was addressing them as they would come in time to discuss what it was that he would teach at this point. There would only be seven of the apostles present. But especially Peter was one who came to be the focus of Jesus' attention. And we can understand why. Peter was the one, if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, Peter was the one who made some very bold claims when the Lord had said to the apostles, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And we know the rest of that story. Jesus said to him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And it happened that night. This bold, assertive, impetuous apostle Peter denied his Lord. Jesus had told Peter that Satan is going to sift you like wheat. But when you're restored, I want you to return. I'm not going to be done with you. And so in this 21st chapter, we see Jesus working for the benefit of Peter who would come to be the, the apostle. Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter would be the, the apostle to the Jews. He would focus primarily, even though he would be the one who would preach the first Gentile. But there was something that Jesus said to Peter that you know resonated with him. The story of Jesus' life at this point has reached or come full circle. Jesus had told the apostles earlier on, the men who came to be his disciples, follow me. And they did for the next three and a half years. And now as Jesus is about to return to the Father, having said certain things, he said to Peter again, follow me. I want us to think about what was involved in following Jesus from Peter's perspective. He was an apostle. He was a disciple. He was a follower. And following Jesus would involve for him certain things. But I think that what we see as we study this chapter are the things that were relevant to Peter being a disciple, a follower, are relevant to, to us as well. The first point that I would make is that he was calling Peter to become a fisher of men. And if you'll read with me in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, we see how this played itself out. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which was the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus had done much of his work. 
And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter, and this is where we see that seven of the apostles were present, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You know, if Peter lived today, I'm, I'm convinced he would be a, a country music fan. What do you do when you don't know what else to do? You just go fishing. Now, he was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. James and John were fishermen. And they said to him, those who were present, we'll also come with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It's early morning, it's probably foggy. He's about 100 yards away, and we'll see that in a moment. It's hard to recognize anybody who's 100 yards away. So they didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, notice he called them children. That, that had to start the, the wheels turning. And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Now, again, you know there are minds at work here. Maybe their minds are going back to that time earlier when they were followers of Jesus, when he had called upon them then after having been fishing all night and caught nothing to cast out their net. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, he's the one who's writing this letter, said to Peter, now Peter and John were close. Peter John and James were members of that inner circle. They were the ones who were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. They, they, they were the ones who were present with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane and that had somewhat separated themselves from the others. They had a very close relationship. So John, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, in true Apostle Peter fashion, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now, I don't know how far he had to go before he could wade. Maybe Joanne can tell us since she was at the Sea of Galilee recently. But a 100-yard swim is a pretty good swim. But Peter was up to it. The others came in. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish played, placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? 
they didn't really know what to say, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, he gave it to them, and the fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What's Jesus teaching them? Is it about catching fish? Is it about having something to eat for breakfast? There was already fish cooking when Jesus got there and he added to it some of what they had caught. What was, this, what was the point that Jesus was, was making to them? I mentioned earlier that this was not the first time that this had happened. If you go over to Luke chapter 5, you read about a time early on in the ministry of Jesus when these same individuals, minus some of the others, certainly it was, it was Peter and John and James, they were called upon by the Lord, Peter specifically, to put out into the deep water, and this is verse 4 of Luke chapter 5, and let down your nets for a catch. Uh, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night, we caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. You know their memory, their minds took them back to this place based on what was happening in John chapter 21. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. They came, they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a, a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't you know that thought's going through his mind now? From now on, you will be catching men. The point of it all was for them to realize, to follow me, you're going to have to become a fisher of men. To follow me, you're going to have to be one who has a desire to put the message that I'm going to put in your hearts in the hearts of others. To follow me is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. It is to tell others about Jesus. It is to tell others about the salvation that can become, that can be theirs only through Him. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to become a fisher of men. We read through the book of Acts and we see that those who followed Jesus, not just the apostles, but those who followed Jesus did in fact become fishers of men. In Acts the 8th chapter, when the church began to face intense persecution, they were all scattered. And the ones who were scattered, the apostles remained in Jerusalem. The ones who were scattered went everywhere preaching the gospel. They knew to follow Jesus was to become a fisher of men. The second point that Jesus made to Peter was that he was to shepherd the flock. Let's go back to John chapter 21 and let's read verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Notice he doesn't call him Peter. You know, Peter meant rock. Solid, 
Well, this son of John was the one who had denied Christ three times. Jesus is wanting Peter to think. Think about my plan, my purpose for your life. I'm not done with you. There's work yet to be done beyond being a fisher of men. Once you catch them, there's going to be something else. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the other apostles? Do you love me more than these earthly things? Do you love me more than these? And the word love here is the word agape. It's the word that carries with it the idea of sacrifice. You said you would lay down your life for me. Will you lay down your life for them? Do you love me more? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The word love that Peter used was the word phileo. It's the friendship type of love. Philadelphia, the city of friendship. It has more to do with a relationship and an emotion. Not so much a sacrifice, even though that would be involved. Yes, you know. You know I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Are you willing to sacrifice for me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Same word that Peter used the first time, he uses the second time. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Lambs are younger, sheep are older. Tend, feed, but shepherd. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now he uses the same word that Peter was using, phileo. Do you really love me with, with emotion? Are you really willing to sacrifice for me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Do we have to keep doing this? <laughs> you know me better than I know myself. You're the one who said I would deny you three times. I didn't expect to do that. I didn't foresee that. You know all things. You can answer this question. Stop asking me. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. To be a follower of Jesus is to be one who is concerned about the others who are following Jesus. We're not all called upon to be shepherds of the flock in the sense of becoming elders. But we all have our own little flock. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's those who are Christians that we have a unique bond with that no others would have. We all have a flock. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't isolate ourselves and live our lives in such a way as to show no concern for that flock. But even beyond that little flock that is within our greatest sphere of influence, can we see beyond? Can we look into the lives of others and see that I need to go into the, the lives of my spiritual family and I need to shepherd them as well? I need to seek to influence them. I need to tend to them. I need to feed them. I need to share the Word of God with them. I need to set an example. 
I need to truly shepherd. That means to become involved with. That means that, that I will be, they will know my voice. They'll know where I stand. They'll know what I believe. And they'll know me so well that they'll follow me. Are we, are we seeking that in our lives as disciples? Later, Peter, the one to whom Jesus spoke in this place, John chapter 21, he would write of his life and he would encourage others who shared his experience. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. So he would become an elder in a local church. He would, he would be not just an apostle, but he would be one who would marry, have children, meet those qualifications that we read about in Timothy and Titus. And he would shepherd a, shepherd a flock and he would exhort them as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Who is that flock among you? Are you feeding them? Are you tending to them? Are you mentoring them? Are you setting an example for them? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. We shouldn't feel like it's something we have to do. We should feel like it's something we want to do. Because it is what is involved in following Jesus. Who was the good shepherd? According to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. With eagerness. Shepherding is not easy. Encouraging others to follow Jesus is some of the hardest work in which we might ever engage. But we're to do it with eagerness. Not, not nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It seems that our example just doesn't rise to the top on the list of priorities as it should. We just don't think enough about the fact that others are watching us. There are those among God's people. They're watching us. Facebook, Instagram. You can't hide anymore. Your example is seen and it's known and it's felt by so many. And what do they see? Are we shepherding God's people? And then the last thing that I see that took place in that 21st chapter is to work out your salvation. Let's, let's look now at verse 18 of John chapter 21. I love this. Truly, truly, speaking to Peter, I say to you when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Secular history tells us Peter was crucified. 
He refused to be crucified after the same fashion as his Lord, so he was crucified upside down. But he went through the same experience as Jesus. He would die that same excruciating, painful death. How do you think that made Peter feel? Someone else will gird you and will bring you where you do not wish to go. And when he had spoken this, when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Knowing how your life is going to end, I still want you to follow me. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is almost humorous. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John had done that. And he did that because Peter said, ask him, ask him, who is it that's going to betray him? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? I don't like what you said about me. I'm not comfortable with that. Could, could, could you tell us what's going to happen to him? Maybe, maybe you can make me feel better about my future if you can just tell me what's going to happen to John. Or, you know what? He loved John. He loved John. Jesus loved John. Jesus had told John, take care of my mother. They had a unique bond. That is, Peter. What, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. That's what they heard. That's what they heard. That's not what Jesus said. But that's what they heard. This is... Incidentally, one of the reasons why many during the first century who lived after the resurrection of Christ expected Jesus' return to be imminent. They expected Jesus to return during their lifetime based on statements such as this. Well, if he's going to come back in John's lifetime, then he's going to come back in my lifetime. But that's not what Jesus said. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? What Jesus was telling Peter is, don't worry about what's going to happen to John. You work out your salvation. Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Sometimes what stands in the way of us and being true followers of Jesus is that we're just obsessed with what others are doing. Maybe we're envious. I wish I could do what he does. Or maybe we're resentful. I wish he would do as much as I do. All kind of things go through our minds when we begin to compare ourselves to others, don't they? Does that ever take us where we really want to be or where we need to be? Does it help you in life to compare yourself, even outside of the spiritual realm, to always be comparing yourself to someone else? Does that really help? No, it really doesn't. 
we need to live our lives in one sense with blinders on, focused on following Jesus. The eye of the mind, the eye of the heart, needs to be focused not on everybody else, but on Jesus. He's the one that we are to be obsessed with if we're going to follow him. In Philippians, the second chapter, you can't help but see the, the parallel in what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi when he stated in verse 12 of Philippians 2, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, I say the parallel because I think about Jesus speaking to Peter. And, and Jesus could have said the very same thing. Not as in my presence only, Peter, but now much more in my absence. You've got 40 days with me. Jesus would appear to the apostles and many others providing many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days. It's going to be easy to follow me when I'm here, but when I'm gone, in my absence. Work out your salvation. Not John's, not anybody else's. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now that would have spoke to the apostles as well because Jesus had said much to them about them abiding in him, about them having fellowship with him. And if they had fellowship with him, they would have fellowship with the Father. And, and the Father and the Son would abide in them and then he would send them, to the Holy Spirit, to guide them into all truth. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work in you. Take it seriously. Have we lost that? It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He wasn't writing that to super Holy Spirit and charged, infused Christians. He was writing that to everyday disciples, just like you and I. And he said, work out your salvation. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to not only tend to the sheep, but you're going to have to tend to yourself. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to be a fisher of men. And the only way you can become a fisher of men is if you yourself have a commitment to follow Jesus and to work out your salvation. The goal of every Christian should be to go to heaven and to take as many with us as we possibly can. Be a fisher of men. Shepherd the flock. And then work out your salvation. Let's go to God in prayer.